that wizard came from the moon. Welcome to Purple Dungeon Squid, the podcast for gamers the toke. If you love the green and you love the screen, then you're in the right place, friend, because we're here to shoot the breeze on some dank strains and some video games. This week on Purple Dungeon Squid, Dan slips on that old pair of traveling boots in Breath of the Wild for a nice retrospective journey back to Hyrule. Andy finds himself in Amsterdam with a Switch full of Rayman Legends and a 3DS with naughty ambitions. The big brain folks over at Apple launches streaming service and vaping. WTF, man. We talk around some of the vape cart troubles that everybody's got questions about. How do you play games if you got no time? Has Borderlands 3 hit the ground running? Will Destiny rise to the top once again with their new Shadowlands drop? That, CBD Flowers, Stroopwafels, and The Witcher 3 Rumblings all here on Purple Dungeon Squid, your home for weed and video games. And if that wasn't enough, we'll also be settling in for our smoke sesh, so stick around for that, because it's going to be a good, good time. I'm your host, Andy, and with me as always, the one... The only, my leaderhosen, Dank Dan. Andy, I've just completed the autopilot for our purple dungeon pod here, and it seems I've immediately received a pink slip. What gives? You've been watching too much Fast and the Furious, or too fast, too furious. I see. It's my dedication to Dominic Toretto and family. Listen, man, we only race for pink slips. What's up, Dan? Are you uh, are you getting in the spirit of, uh, I don't know, is it it's that time of year that we talk about Fast and the Furious. This seems like this seems like two episodes in a row. Or maybe you just still got Paul Walker on the brain. Hey Andy, what's a Stroop waffle? Yeah, that's a good question. It's, it's a good segue. So I've eaten approximately four Stroop waffles today, and um, as you may know, Dan, I'm uh, I'm in Amsterdam right now, which means that it's uh, 11 p.m. here, and and you're you're what? You're a you're a stern five o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, a jolly 5:04 p.m. Right. So I can't tell if I've gone into the future or if I'm jet lagged or if I'm having a meth induced hallucination. Um, I don't I'm not a meth guy. <laughs> no, but you never know. You never know what they're putting meth in these days. You never like, know. I, there's some suspect uh, products. And if anything was more suspect than plain food, I haven't heard about it. And Andy, I put you on a plane yesterday around this time you did and i have to thank you and it sounds like by by the fugue state that you're in you may not have slept no i did not i did not sleep there were uh, some nice elderly folks next to me and i don't know what it is i guess they reach a certain age when there is no sleeping required and so you know it was lovely there was two older older ladies um lovely old ladies uh, who were, uh, you know, getting ready to go on a riverboat cruise. And, um, you know, that that's wonderful. That's a great thing. You know, riverboat cruise, do it if you can. There was also an older gentleman from Manitoba who was uh, was excited to do a similar cruise. Right after I dropped you off at the, at the airport, I was driving away. And then I remembered that you and I agreed to uh, uh, blaze one of the bones you had rolled as like a, a drive me to the airport favor. Yes. And I'm suddenly like, Andy's going through security right now. 
with a jizzoint. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. I went into the airport. I walked on my merry way to security. I waved to the security guard and did an about face on my back heel and uh, just swiftly went over to the trash can, deposited my $22 joint. It was a very nice joint. Uh, and then on my way back. I'm sorry we didn't get to enjoy that together. 22 Yeah, it was an expensive one. I had like created a fiction in my head where the joint that I missed out on was like, uh, like shrivelly and twisted a bit, and the weed was like a little bit old. And no. I'm hearing twenty two dollar joint, and now I yeah. I really know what I've missed out on now. It was a twenty two dollar joint full of Primo BC Bud, my friend. <laughs> Brought to you by mm. the friends over at Quest Q W E S T, not Quest, the late night television service about calling hot singles. They're waiting for you now. I'm calling Quest. <laughs> It's. I like how they're trying to like on every one of those commercials. They're like, "It's a party over here." I'm like, like I don't understand the concept of TV. That this isn't a live broadcast. This has been pre-recorded. Maybe the party's died down. I feel like I'm several weeks, months, or years late for this party. Judging on your red bikini, circa 1993. Yeah, who's still on Quest? Are people still dialing into Quest, or is Quest like a boiler room thing? Is it a 4.99 a minute boiler room? There's like, you know, five uh, mid-40s ladies, and in between knitting, they take uh, they take calls with young gentlemen and string them on just long enough to rack up a $40 credit card bill. Now, Quest has actually got bought out by Quest Trade. Oh. If you do call them, they'll give you some stock tips, but if you do give them the old secret password, with which is Winnebago, that's right, Winnebago, they'll drop right into the dirty talk. <laughs> that's not a fact though right quest is not quest trade i hope not <laughs> don't, don't do this to me dan it is it is late and early at the same time and i'm confused <laughs> i'm confused we're diversifying out of dicks into estate treasury auctions i just whoo jump the shark you asked me about a stroop waffle didn't you a stroop waffle i did yeah is a delicious ultimate munchy food my friend it is a it's like a uh ooh how do i even describe this it's like two flat very flat waffles Mm-hmm. sandwiched with caramel in between them and then shaped into oh. a delightful flat hockey puck looking surface and you bite into it there's a little bit of stringiness as the caramel comes away um, and they're available for you in Amsterdam so if you if you make your way out here um, and you uh, you know you burn down a couple bones make sure you get yourself over to the Stroopwafel spot because those things are damn good damn good Dan I had them for lunch now if I'm thinking along the same lines Am I getting like a crunch similar to like somewhere in the neighborhood of a pretzel or am I closer to like a warm funnel cake? Yeah, you're uh, it's not warm, Mm. typically not warm. Uh, This is a packaged good. You're getting it right off the shelf Uh, and you're biting into it. And it's it's almost like the it's you know what? The texture is that of a Twix bar. Mm. That's the texture. I want you to imagine your teeth running through a Twix bar. That's what you're in for with a Stroop waffle, but more sophisticated. I like what I'm hearing. Ooh, sophistication. Stroop waffle. Appreciate that. Stroop waffle. All the Stroop, none of the scoop. But yeah, dude, I'm uh, I'm pretty jet lagged. It's uh, it's pretty serious. But you know what did lift my spirits is I arrived at my hotel here in Central Amsterdam, and I'm in room 420. I feel like that's a cosmic sign. Oh wow! Like <laughs> right? I mean, quick question: Is every room in Amsterdam 420 or? <laughs> Welcome to Amsterdam. Yes, we have you in room 420. It's just all day long. 
just all day. They wink every time. They have to like switch eyes for winking. They're like getting tired with winking with the left. They have to wink with the right. <laughs> it is indeed the only 420. And what was a little bit of a bummer is that um, still at the front cache, they have a giant marijuana leaf with a big no-no sign all over it. And it says mm. no drugs of any kind in your hotel room, which is just like, come on, man. And I get it. It's it's this weird time capsule of a time where Amsterdam was the only spot for, for cannabis, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. you've got this vernacular and you've got this sentiment of like, you're in Amsterdam. Don't tell me you want to smoke it in your hotel room too, dude. But now it's kind of, you know, you, you read that and you go, wow, this is actually from a, a legalization period prior to Western legalization, which just feels feels weird. It's a little this little cognitive dissonance coming at you. On one side, maybe they're like, hey, don't get buck wild and, and light up in your room. On the other side, maybe they're like, please don't cultivate any marijuana while you're here. Maybe that's like literally just don't grow any. We frown on that. Yeah, I'm going to shack up here in uh, in room 420 and start growing me some dank, dank purple crack. That's what's going to happen. It's so hard to get soil out of the carpet. <laughs> this much is true. Well, you know, I still plan on having a, a right bacchanalian time out here out here in Amsterdam, although it's, uh, it's predominantly for work. And given the time zone shift, I end up just kind of working for most of the time I'm conscious, but I, I'm sure there'll be some sort of fun times, fun times in debauchery. Perhaps there'll be a window near where you're working where you can see others enjoying their time. That's really, if we're being honest, that's probably most accurate. But I have mm. set up my switch on the TV. For those of you that travel out there, let me tell you something. The switch is the ultimate uh, gaming platform to take with you, not just as I've learned for handheld mode, but also because there's very little that's as amazing as plugging it into a TV being able to just take your dock and having like a a console on just all the time while you're in a hotel for a few days, there's something just, it's like bringing a little piece of home with you. You know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. I remember trying to negotiate with my parental units that it would be totally reasonable for me to bring like uh, the SNES with me. And that was a hard no, but I feel like you could feather this in as a young lad uh, just about anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I get you. I get you. I feel I too tried to take a 64 along for a, for a family trip and it was a, it was a hard no, but back then you had a, a whole bunch of variables. Do they have audio video cables? Do you need to do that little AV screw thingamajig? It was just, it was a hot mess all over the place. So these days with HDMI, it becomes, becomes a little bit easier, but um, yeah, I find myself wanting to do a little bit more. I've been to Amsterdam quite a few times and, and it's a really beautiful city and I do love being here, but uh, you know, I want to do a little bit more exploring, maybe find myself, like what does a retro video game store look like in Amsterdam, right? These are the questions I'm asking myself. I'm hoping it's underground. That's my one hope. I'm hoping they grow weed. It's <laughs> just... <laughs> They're selling you a copy of uh, whatever, a vintage copy of mint condition Metroid and also growing a little white widow on the side. That seems right. So I've decided, though, that I'm going on a special little spirit quest here because um, my 3DS has been sitting in the bottom of a laundry hamper for approximately nine months. And I remember last uh, last show you were mentioning that you have not, in fact played Majora's Mask. So not only have I loaded that guy up with Majora's Mask, but I intend on giving my 3DS one last hurrah. I'm taking it around with me. Um, I actually went to the greenhouse today a little earlier on, which is a coffee shop here in Amsterdam. And if you're in Amsterdam, coffee shop means weed shop, not coffee shop. I'm sourcing myself some stickers. I'm going to sticker the hell out of this 3DS. So if you're on our Instagram, take a gander at, uh, at the myriad stickers that are coming to plain blank lifeless 3DS near you. Andy, I was going to say your 3DS was looking pretty plain, pretty basic. 
And uh, I'm glad to hear you're going to be trumping it up. And I feel like you have the bandwidth, knowing that it's an outgoing system, that you can slap as many stickers as you want on that puppy. Go for layers. You know what I mean? Well, there's a life cycle in an electronics, or there's a point in an electronics peripherals life cycle where that happens, right? Like you go from this is brand new, pristine, right out of the box. I want this to be new forever. I got this thing. I paid a lot of money for it. And then a few years down the road when you've replaced it with another peripheral, which is kind of alarming how quickly we're doing that, but that's another conversation. Uh, You've replaced it with another peripheral that it's like, okay, well, maybe we get a second wind in here. Maybe I bring this back. And also decorate the hell out of it in tasteless stickers. And that's exactly what I plan on doing, Dan. In fact, we have a, uh, we have a standing bet that I, um, that I won't go to the lengths of, uh, of stickering on a, a big pair of memories on the front of this 3DS. And I- to be clear, I wagered you that you did not have the testicular fortitude to put something mildly obscene on your 3DS. And I think a tickled set of biddies would be a good place to start. And to my shock, you said, let's race, Mother Hubbard. <laughs> Listen, man, I, you know, it's definitely, it's outside of my comfort zone, but, you yeah. know, someone, someone once told me, Dan, I mean, Andy, Andy. <laughs> Who am I? Life begins outside of your comfort zone. It does, doesn't it? And I took that to heart. And you know what? Advice tube is everybody loves boobs yeah yeah oh yeah everybody yeah everybody 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 yes sir yes sir yes sir what about you dan what have you been up to what's going on in your neck of the woods uh i am back to work it's been glorious except for the fact there's been 19 people directly above my head working on the roof uh for two days straight nice and it does sound like like it's bombs over wherever i feel like i've been being shelled for two days uh, like it's so loud. I've like stood up suddenly out of my desk like three dozen times and I'm feeling like a little bit of a little bit of anxiety around it. it. I think it was when they started sawing through the roof directly above me. I was thinking, hmm, is this how I die? <laughs> you look down, you've got trench foot. I do have trench foot. I'm holding <laughs> a picture of my lady and uh, I've painted um, something on the side of an airplane. This metaphor may have got away from me pretty quick. It it, uh, it went right away. At some point, we pivoted into Castaway. Yeah, we did. Really, really, really fast. Except the airplane is your new friend. Oh, Boeing, what would I do without you? That's right. That is so true. Um... <laughs> Dude, I, I feel like we're floating through in a... Wow, okay, let's... Move it on. Move it on to the important shit. Actually, let's park it for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, thanks for coming by. <laughs> We're going to wrap it right there. This is Purple Dungeon Squid Whiplash Edition. Um, I tell mm-hmm. you what does, what is giving me a little bit of whiplash, Dan. What's that? The warm glow of excitement that I have. Wusa. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> okay. <laughs> All right. I'm feeling good. I am in power. I am in control. Um, the Witcher 3, Dan. The Witcher 3 has got me feeling pretty good. It is coming out soon for the Switch <laughs> the Nintendo Switch. The Switcher 3? <laughs> the Switcher 3. She is coming. She's ready to go. And um, so some of the key questions I had when this came out, because if you remember, The Witcher is one of those titles that uh, I'm, I've been excited about, that I've that I've loved, and that I've never played. Because let's be real, it's yeah. a super long title. I think I got maybe 15, 20 hours in and just, just dropped the ball. Yeah, it's lengthy. The Switch version comes with all of the game's DLC which to me was the, the, the crowning element because to be honest with you, The Witcher could come out and do the whole re-release of DLC and I'm fairly certain nobody would bat an eyelash, right? Especially if it was out for mobile. Like, What's your opinion? 
Yeah, they've been really generous with DLC. Like, you get a lot for the dollars you put in there. Um, so, yeah, I could see you buying it again. And I'm both psyched when I get all the DLC from a value standpoint. Complete game. I'm getting everything. But I also want, like, really clear delineations when I'm accidentally wandering into a DLC territory. Only because when you got an 80-hour game and it threatens you with 40 hours of DLC, you don't want to accidentally start committing a bunch of time in their killer side activities that are really full stories unto themselves. I want it to be like, warning, this is DLC quest. Come back later. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel you on that one. I mean, the developers believe, they estimate, um, that this version of The Witcher 3 will take well over 100 hours to get through all of the content. And I, I believe it fully, um, you know, just given where I was after 20 hours. And admittedly, I'm a slower gamer, right? Especially working through these larger epics. It takes me takes me a long time to get through. But um, apparently, what's the most, recent, uh, the most recent expansion? I think there's like a quasi-Italian expansion where Geralt opens a vineyard and retires. <laughs> That's like how the series ends. It's it's a pretty full full spectrum Witcher experience, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it on the Switch. I'm optimistic, Andy, but I'm also a little bit skeptical because when you think about the Switch and Witcher, it seems like putting like a really big elephant-sized awesome game into a small bread box. And like from performance standpoints, I'm a little bit concerned, but I've I believe in these daredevils at Nintendo and their ability to make this thing happen. Um, so we'll wait and see on performance and things of that nature. Yeah, no, I actually checked it out on Polygon. Um, I haven't watched the video myself, but allegedly we've got a 41-minute gameplay overview um, that's been complete by the devs. The game runs at 720p in a dock. It runs at 540p undocked. Um, and allegedly very little performance issues. So, I mean, obviously they've scaled down the resolution quite a bit, which I imagine is a little bit of a sacrifice, but the reality is the ability to take it on the go is what you're here for. And most of us who, I shouldn't say most of us, but many people who are interested in playing The Witcher 3 do already have it on PS4 yeah, or whatever other platform. True. I, I think for my dollar, if I have a PS4, I'm playing it on the PS4. I, I, I always feel a little bit neutered if like I have a console where it is and will be, you know, better looking and I, I step over to the other side. So maybe not for me, but I could see this being a hit for somebody. Well, yeah, me specifically, because the amount of time I get in front of my my PS4 is is pretty much a next to zero conversation. And you know what? We actually went through it um, last year, but you actually linked me a Kotaku article called How to Play Long Video Games When You Have No Time. Uh, and this was written by Keza McDonald. And I have to give a little uh, salute out to Keza um, because it's a topical reminder that there is a possibility of playing some of these epic games, even if you, whatever, pick, pick your poison, you're parent or you've got limited time because of work or you play a new video game every week which is kind of the trifecta of what's going on in over here so but she has a, she has some good advice and I wanted to rapid fire go through it she her, her number one piece of advice was pick one massive game and I think that that's timely right like it's, it, I think we can both agree it's challenging to commit to one epic uh, RPG there's so many that come out in a year right yeah absolutely like Fast and Furious. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, you know, uh, in the last year, I'm just trying to think. So Red Dead Revolver 2. Red Dead Redemption. Sorry, Red Dead Redemption 2. I picked up Xenoblade Chronicles 2. I picked up Skyrim for the Switch. 
uh, Breath of the Wild, um, Monster Hunter uh, World. I also picked up for the Switch Monster Hunter Ultimate. Uh, sorry, what was the... Ooh, what's the title? It always eludes me. Whatever. Monster Hunter... Yeah, it's Monster Hunter Ultimate. Ultimate Showdown Thursdays. Whatever the hell it is. Regardless, there's there's quite a few long format games that are percolating in my, in my backlog. Um, and it's true. Like, you just get into the game long enough to uh, see the story beats start to pick up. And if you live there and then go to another title and start the process all over again... It eventually becomes quite frustrating uh, not having made any progress. Oh, Persona 5. There's another good example. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. And I, I think that one of the things you got to let go of, and this was a big, like, epiphany for me. I had to watch every cutscene. I had to read every word of dialogue. But when I was, like, moving into, I have 20 minutes I'm going to skip as much of the dialogue as I can. Listen, this doesn't, I don't do this for everything. If it's Metal Gear Solid, I'm, I'll watch every piece of it. But like, for instance, I've been playing Breath of the Wild. And if anybody's saying any nonsense for side quests and stuff, I'm skipping all of it. I'm just skip, 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 skip. And and listen, if that's where your fun is, if you really want to read everything, that's your fun. But I felt like duty bound to do so. And once I let that go, I found that those small little sessions I had, they played a lot better. Yeah, yeah, no, I got you. And that's it. It's it's functionally the advice, and it's it's timeless, is to pick a game and go at it with whatever gaming time you have. And I think I, you know, in one way or another, over the past over the past few months, especially with an aggressive travel schedule, that's exactly what I've done. Some of these other uh, some of these other little tidbits, like playing, learning to play games with your partner or kids or folks who live with you, I. Totally agree. Making it a social thing. In fact, I'm playing a game today, which I'll talk about in a little bit, Rayman Legends, which I would argue is nigh unplayable if you're not uh, playing it with other folks. Letting go of the guilt of a backlog. Now we get into some real high, some real high consciousness uh, personal development here, Dan. <laughs> we're going, we're going deep. Mm-hmm. I think that maybe it's uh, maybe be a, a worthwhile exercise for me to commit to one long format game and see if I can get her done and like. In like a 30-day window. I'm curious to see if it's something I could accomplish. Yeah, man, that would be cool. Something that I'll tell you, the same advice I gave my second cousin, Gary, when he lost 100 pounds, small bites are okay. (laughs) And what I mean is just like a lot of time we're thinking, I'm only going to play this game when I have three hours to commit to it. It's going to be that long session. You know, when your life changes, sometimes your gaming style has to change. And if you can get 15 minutes and play just a little, that can be great because you'll keep waiting for that two hour window. And then, you know, three months have gone by and you forget what's happening in the game. And that's a wipe. That's a do. That's, uh, that's a finito. That is. Uh, yeah. No dice. Um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you entirely on that. I totally thought your cousin Gary was a setup. But uh, if that's a real thing. High five, Gary. High five to you. Oh, it is a setup. If I ever have to pull for a really fake name, it's always Gary. Because I feel like, is anyone named Gary anymore? Yeah, I know quite a few people named Gary. This episode of, Pur- right, well. <laughs> this episode of Purple Dungeon Squid, this, uh, this initial train wreck of Purple Dungeon Squid, is brought to you by Weed and Video Games. Weed and Video Games, up top, down low, never too slow. Also brought to you by Backdoor Shaving Cream. Hey there, Comancho. Is your downstairs situation turning into a briar patch of trouble? Get out your standard switchblade and start carving back up with confidence with backdoor shaving cream. Guaranteed not to cut yourself a new (laughs) O-ring. 
Oh, God. I know you improv that because I wrote that about 15 seconds ago. So uh, hats off to you, my friend. Brought to you by the Federales. When you're close to the Mexican border, make sure that you've paid off the local constabulary. Yes, this is an advertisement just for police bribes. Make sure you give them their grease. Oh, God. Brought to you by Refrigerators with Wheels. Are you a guy on the go, but also hungry? Make sure you got a fridge that can keep up with that active lifestyle. Picture a guy who's right about to go downstairs with a fridge with wheels. It'll go everywhere you do. Fall, 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 crushes him to death. Scene. (laughs) Uh, And finally, brought to you by Millennial Anxiety. Are you coming to grips with the fact that your parents and grandparents have pushed capitalism to its final stage where all you're left no, with no, is no. a Too real. totally bereft Too real. world Too real. with a <laughs> quickly depleted ozone no, layer. No. Take new millennium anxiety no. and settle into this armchair. What's on TV? It doesn't matter. You'll watch whatever's there. <laughs> Millennial anxiety. <laughs> you mean you'll stream whatever's there and everyone loves Raymond is never on anymore because that time has sailed. It's that, the classic old turn of phrase, that time has sailed. <laughs> if you'd like to sponsor the show or have a game you'd like us to look at, email us at purpledungeonsquid at gmail.com. If you're a millennial, come get a hug. Until then, we'll never stop. It's true. I won't. Whew. Who would have known it was uh, so hard to talk across an ocean, Dan? I feel like there's delay. We're having technical issues. But despite all that... You've jammed your iPhone standard American charger into one of those European outlets. There's sparks flying. Not the good kind of sparks either, let me tell you. Not the good kind. Yeah, that's the one thing about coming here. Um, I always pack four international chargers because there's just there's a little bit of voodoo uh, required. I don't know if you've ever seen the European um, plugins, but it's like two little holes and a bunch of prongs, and you got to rotate it just right. Sounds like my Friday night there, Captain. Oh, yeah. Well, don't we all wish? Don't we all wish? You play some video games this week, Dan? I, uh, a little birdie tells me you made your way back to the lens of Hyrule. Yeah, I'm like totally late to the game uh, playing this launch title, um, but I knew whenever I arrived at its emerald shores that it would be the paramount and glistening pylon to glory that it is yeah there's no question uh, breath of the wild is uh, mine and, and many people's um you know top three top five game of the last i mean shit for me it's the last decade for sure like breath of the wild is one of those games that uh, that will go down in history um but uh but i'm, I'm curious to see what your retrospective is because you know it's always interesting to jump into a game that's several years old and that you've heard all the jokes on you've read all of the memes on you've uh listened to all of the opinions on um and then you settle down and play it for yourself and did it uh did it meet expectations or what uh, what was your uh, what was your jam when it comes to a game like zelda and you hear all the tens out of tens it's not a big surprise so it didn't curry a ton of my attention so all the zelda talk just turned into white noise and i just pegged it on the old whiteboard of games that i i will and must play and i won't let it go the way of majora's mask i've never played majora's mask and i've never cooked with the spice majorum what is majorum anyway uh so this one wasn't in it is an inevitability yeah, and no, I get that, man. I think that the thing for me with Breath of the Wild is, and I, I, I'm going to assume that the case is true, but let's just verify for the folks at home. You did go into this game with a nice bit of bud, yes? I did. I did. Okay. Uh, I did spark down on some of our, our emerald friend. I do not know of a greater game for the aesthetic 
and for the uh, fluid experience of exploring the Overland. Like, take this game, and I think the last time I talked about it, I I compared it with Skyrim. Both great games, both great exploration games. Skyrim is fine uh, with a with a little bit of a little bit of weed <laughs> in the satchel. No, it's a great game, but you know you uh, mm-hmm. you know spark a bong and and get into Skyrim. Um, I think it's that whole scary <laughs> scenario because I, I very quickly will get into just an anxiety creating uh, experience in Skyrim. Maybe it's the giant mm-hmm. dragons. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's the undead crypts. Yeah. But uh, that yeah. But then you get you get into Breath of the Wild and its overland is so fluid and feels so welcoming and it's so easy to traverse the land that I feel it's the ultimate free roaming cannabis experience. What I love about it is that, you know, for certainty, it's going to have a bunch of friends that are familiar to you. You're going to have a new but familiar soundtrack. You're going to have some gameplay mechanics that are totally time-worn and so familiar and comfortable, but you're always going to have something new. And this Breath of the Wild bolts on a bunch of new stuff, destructible weapons, cooking system, temperature, and an open world. So, you know, there's both going to be discovery and, you know, a comfort zone. And you're going to get a feast for the eyes, just a glorious art style sort of permeating the whole thing. And depending on where you fall on the scale, it's either going to have a story that you love or a story that you always ignore and just go have fun anyway. Yeah, and I think I think that on the last point there, it was a little bit of both for me because the story's great, like it's good, um, and the beats are great. And when you you know when you're when you're involved in the dungeons, uh, it definitely feels like a like a Zelda story. But there's so much in between that has nothing to do with the story and is just everything about being immersed in that. It's hard to even call it high rule. Like it's 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 its own. You take that and you, you you put it next to Ocarina of Time, and there are some similarities in the way that they've designed the Overland. But Breath of the Wild is so expansive that at times it just you settle into this rhythm of exploration that you know I have to think comes the closest to blurring the lines between being there and uh, and playing a video game. You know? Yeah, you really hit the nail on the head. Like this game is at its best when you're free roaming and exploring. And, you know, the very beginning, it does this great thing with the training wheels, lets you know that it's a Zelda game, you know, gives a couple story beats, shows you the crumpled uh, ruins of the Temple of Time to let you know this is not, it's not going to be just like you remember, things are going to be different. And then it kind of beckons you to explore um, quite a bit. First in a small sort of training pool till you get your glider, but then it's like doors wide open and it, it feels like you can go anywhere. And what I really loved is when uh, I was just finding cool stuff every little, every, it felt like every 30 feet, there was something cool, whether it was a Korok seed from a little mini puzzle, or it was a temple that I spot in the distance, you know, as I'm making my way to that spire um, that's going to unlock uh, the viewing and the teleporting and the map for that new area. I was constantly being urged to move forward and rewarded at every step. And, and that is the vibe. That's a part of the game that kept me locked in. And I think at its core was for me where the most meat of the fun was yeah I, and is. I hear you I, I think that I gotta like I gotta challenge it a little bit because you're talking about you know the rampant either collectible secrets you know uh, like as you mentioned spots on the map to go to unlock a thing and move forward but that's every open world game and I'll be honest in many open world games it gets irritating for me I don't want to do all that side stuff you know it's a dot on a mini map 
It's another collectible. Um, same thing happened to me with Assassin's Creed, uh, Skyrim. Uh, again, just playing through it recently on 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 Switch. There's a lot that I um, I will ignore because I you know I want to explore. I want to do that pure pure, pure exploring. Um, Red Dead. There's there's a level of too much stuff going on in many of those games that I just want to ignore and kind of get over to the to the main storyline or continue on and make progress. But for some reason, Breath of the Wild doesn't feel that way. Doesn't feel like there's too much stuff on yeah. the mini-map. The distinction is it never felt like I was headed somewhere and someone was pulling me away. It felt like a little bit of uh, sort of glory on the way. Is someone was like, hey, this this rock looks out of place. Oh, I bet it would go over here. And it's going to take me most times like maybe 15, 20 seconds. Like it, it's almost like the game asks a question and you're overjoyed to answer it. It feels like you're making fun stops along the way or just pure exploring. And it does a really good job of never pulling you too far in to a murky place. Even the shrines, which I both loved and they felt like they kind of stood out in a way and like they kind of stuck out like a thor- sore thumb. Like, what is this place? It has some like very little personality. But even then, they're like, we're only going to take five to seven minutes of your time. And I love that about the game. It really spoke to me in kind of the rhythm that it was presented to you in. And that's what made it a, l- a little bit onerous. Whenever you got into like a cold territory or a hot territory and, you know, you couldn't do that anymore. And I get it. It kind of, it says, hey, you got to come back here later. And me being the renegade of funk that I am, I like ate a bunch of hot peppers and ran in there and got did as many temples as I could. I forget what my point is. <laughs> Wait, it's coming back. You know, other than that, the rhythm was really good. And yeah, it pushed me back. And maybe I do need to be stopped sometimes, Andy. Sometimes maybe I do need to be sent packing. <laughs> yeah, I feel you, man. I mean, yeah, onerous is probably the uh, the last word I'd use for, um, and I, I get the context in which you used it in, but it's probably the last word that I'd use for Breath of the Wild. It it feels expansive and not daunting, and I it's I think it's exactly what you said. It's a rhythm, right? It's the the way that they position things in front of you. It never feels like you know you're you drive twenty feet and then there's a whole pile of bricks to pick up on you know on the side of the road and then you drive another 20 feet and you got to pick up a whole other pile of bricks it feels like you know every 20 feet you got a little brick to pick up just one at a time and you get to the end you build yourself a nice little house that's what you do yeah 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 you're so right i i and to go along with that you and i are having a conversation a little bit about where I was getting a little bit annoyed at having to make all this food to go into these environments that I need to either be warmer or colder or any of that stuff. And then I just broke down and made sure that I bought all the warm clothes from this one location and all the cooling off clothes from this other location. And it took a lot of the the suffering of me feeling like I had to do that over and over. So that's kind of disappeared for me a little bit. Um, another thing I want to point out that I love, the final level area is accessible right at the beginning right and the game actually beckons you to explore the castle many times or several times before you ultimately show down against ganon and i love that because so often the final level is so cool and it comes and goes so quickly and i like that it gets to show off its stuff as a game in its final setting you know, multiple times. Yeah. I really love that. Yeah, you can scrounge that place for gear, I think, pretty early in the game. And I, I like that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the perfect marriage of, like, a truly open-world experience and then, you know, uh, I guess destination-based story, right? 
there's there's not much I can complain about with Breath of the Wild. Uh, the combat feels great. The weapon damage and the weapon whole weapon system to me was again slam dunk. Um, yeah, I I just I have so few complaints about this game because every time I pick it up, the amount of whimsy that I get, uh, and like I said, it's it's affinity for cannabis is just it can't be understated. I should say it can't be overstated. Can't be overstated. You can't state it. You can. Maybe you can't state. I'm not a statesman. All right. But you're a man who owes me some tax statements. I'm in a fugue state. That's for sure. Oh, <laughs> you want to wrap up Breath of the Wild? <laughs> Breath of the Wild, Dan? You want to? Buddy, 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 buddy. Yeah. Uh, what was your experience? How did you feel about it? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, along with what I've already said, um, you know, I love the combat. It feels like it's missing maybe a little bit of something, but it is really enjoyable. I found that I really was trying to sneak up on enemies earlier in the game, and they would always spot me, and that was a little bit of a bummer. Like, even if I walked like a little, just like a tippy, tippy, tippy toe, that was a little bit of a bummer. But, you know, uh, with some of the upgrades and food and stuff, you can make that a happen. I always, I was really shocked that the fairies need to be powered up by rupees. Oh. I feel like fairies have become the ultimate grifters I see. and like why why do they need what my magical power has waned the only way for me to return to my full form is money <laughs> <laughs> do you have money and i'm like yeah and she's like perfect give it to me <laughs> like if she's like if you have money give it to me now i'm like oh, okay <laughs> gling, gling, gling. yeah it's yeah. With the ramping up of, of like, there's a big cash man in this game. Like, I think to like get most of the stuff you need and activate the fairies, it's like close-ish to 20,000 rupees. And this game's a little bit stun stingy on the rupees. And like, there's a bunch of farming guides out there. And, uh, you know, I, I've engaged in a little bit of, of rupee farming just because I wanted to like accelerate some of these aspects. And I'm not sure, like, if you did it without, a, like, using any of these mechanics, I feel like it would be a little bit of a grind. What do you think, buddy? Yeah, I, I don't know. I didn't, I never went into that mode of farming rupees. Um, I never mm -hmm. experienced a point where, I, like, for sure, short on rupees, definitely. I actually kind of like that about the game. Um, you know, I find currency will do either one of two things. It'll create meaningful choices that you need to make, and in a game with with uh, with deteriorating equipment like Breath of the Wild, um, I feel more often than not it can create meaningful choices, um, or it'll just be something that you know at some point in the game doesn't matter anymore. You've always got more than enough, more than you'd ever need, uh, which I think is the majority of RPGs. So actually, I kind of give it to to Zelda to to managing that economy a little bit better and creating a need uh, to you know, collect every rupee and sell every item, you know, in a game like Final Fantasy or, or Pokemon or, or uh, Xenoblade Chronicles, just all of these games that I've played recently, um, you know, you, you get to a certain point, a certain amount of currency, and it's just, you just got it. No big deal. Yeah, I mean, in a game with a ton of collectibles and every single one of them is useful to upgrade something, you really want to hold on to them. You know, I found it really hard to sort of authentically raise the money that was required to activate these fairies. I feel like if the fairies were like, instead of being, I think it's like 100 and then 500 and then 1,000 and then 10,000, something like that, if that was scaled down slightly, it might solve all my problems 
all my money gripes. That's the main thing. And and the fact that you need that cash to buy the the warm armor and the stealth armor that if you didn't buy them, those parts would be less fun. I think having the armor makes the game more fun and that you might not do that because you don't have cash on hand. Uh, and, you know, I did a lot of open world exploring and I was feeling short on cash from the effort that I put in. But, you know, one man's opinion. Also, those fairies are pretty uh, pretty large and in charge. Some some uh, buxom fay over there, eh? There you go, buddy. They didn't go with the Tinkerbell waifness. They they went with a sturdy female, and I like that. I like that about well it. Well done. Thank you. Well done. Um, I got a, In Ocarina, did the fairies, the great fairies, take money, or did they take something else? I think they were just ready to rock, Home Slice. Did you have to play them a song? You played them a song or something? There may have been a song. It feels like a very, a much more bohemian approach. <laughs> There's like, uh, Ocarina is like, play me a song and I will unleash my full power. And then uh, Breath of the Wild, late stage capitalism. You got that money, bro. <laughs> got that paper. With them dollars. Yeah, yeah. With them dollars. Uh-huh. Well, great fairy want to roll up in the bends too, Dan. Let's not deprive anyone of anything. That's true. Sure. Cool, buddy. Cool. Well, did you uh, did you have a strain you paired with this specific game, or was it uh, was it a strain agnostic? I gotta do uh, I I gotta do a little bit of a, a nod to that green crack that I've been uh, I've been hoarding. It's been quite good. It's been a friend. Green, green Kush. Green Kush is the new genteel way of saying green crack. Okay. Don't I feel like we're all lying to ourselves? It's, though? it's Kush with a C, Dan. It's Kush with a C. Oh. Can you hear that when I make the sound with my mouth? Green Kush. <laughs> Green Kush. Kush, yes, yes. Just like couscous. Is it like couscous? It's close. It's close. I've been playing Rayman, Dan. Do you remember Rayman? Old Rayman from uh, the N64 era. Um, loved that game. Had a great time uh, platforming. But I'm not sure if platformers are for me anymore, Dan, if I'm being totally honest with you. Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, I looked a little bit at the game that you've described, Rayman Legends, and it looks like it maybe should have come in a cereal box. <laughs> Oh, that's a, that's a little brutal. But I mean, the game came out originally on the Wii, so it is an older title. And, you know, there's been some good examples of great platformers recently, like Dead Cells, for example, right? You take Dead Cells, you take a platformer, you smash it together with a, uh, with a, with a roguelike. Um, you give it some nice crisp mechanics, or, or I, I guess in a platformer, it's, it's really all about the jumping and the hitting, right? And you make yourself a nice game. I, just for some reason, Rayman Legends, and this is the definitive edition, so um, whatever the heck that means. I, I did look into it. I think there are some unlockable characters and some unlockable stages, uh, as well as some original stages from a previous title called Rayman Origins. But regardless, if this is your game, if you like it, if you jump in and it feels good to you, there's understandably plenty of, of unlockables and content here for you. Um, but here's the thing that makes it a little bit janky for me. So first and foremost, it came out in the era of Wii, and there's like Wiimote legacy stuff going on. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know how in, in some games on the Wii, with the Wiimote, you'd... you'd drag it across the screen you'd slash something or you'd chop it or whatever it is i mean it's the standard kind of wiimote mechanic it just feels weird to talk about it so many years later right right yeah some artifacted hey this controller does movement things stuff yeah so you know um they've they you can do that if you're playing in handheld mode however if you're in docked mode all you do is press the a button so you've got this little floaty guy and rayman is this 
cartoony dude with hair that turns into a helicopter and he's goofy and friendly and fun looking and the art i do have to say the 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 game engine for uh, rayman legends is it renders everything in this really hand drawn looking kind of art um so it's actually really beautiful to look at you know especially if you're playing uh, platformers like mario brothers and and donkey kong it actually looks very distinct from those games um and you know i, I feel pretty good about it but this whole like floaty Murphy guy who's these this little green dude who floats around with you and you press the A button to do things like, you know, bring a platform down or rotate a wheel that you need to jump into. And it just feels weird, you know? It's it's like, oh yeah, that mechanic's not a thing anymore. So here, just, just press A. Do, do you see how that could be weird? Yeah, it's like, we probably should have taken this out of the game, but uh, don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> So regardless, you know, getting past that, everything feels a little bit floaty. There's actually like a punch button. So as you're going through, you can kind of run and jump and punch, but everything just feels, to me at least, a little bit floaty. And that could understandably be the, uh, be the oh my God, I want to say the Wiimote, but it's not the Wiimote, the Switch, uh, why am I blanking on the Switch controllers? Help me out here, Dan. Throw me a damn lifeline. They are Joy-Con, the Joy-Con. my friend. Yes, it's 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 putting a damper on my joy. Um, yeah, it just feels a little bit floaty uh, with the with the Joy-Con. The thing I kept coming back to as I was playing because I'm liking the visuals. Check mark. I'm okay with the the platforming elements. Again, a little floaty, but like passable, fine. But do I want another platformer? I don't know. I think that that's that's kind of what's at the heart of this. You know, I've been having I've been having a similar challenge when playing new Mega Man's. It does none of it it doesn't quite hit the nostalgia button the way I want it. They are extremely difficult and there's only so much you can get out of uh, a platformer I think now with games doing everything that they do. Like maybe like maybe there's a state that I I would enjoy it in, but more often than not I'm kind of steering clear of those puppies. Yeah, I mean the, the weird part is though is if I go back to, you know, Super Mario World, I could play that all day long. Absolutely. And the the uh, the Mega Man games which you introduced me to in the past few years, again, could play those all day long. But for some reason, even the newer even the newer Mario games um and the newer Donkey Kong games I just have no desire to get in there and and compete with the same level of interest uh, as I did with those vintage platformers, Sonic, etc. You know, it feels a little sad, but I think it's it may just be me, but possibly just exactly as you said, with with so many different mechanics and games, it feels like every time I do that, it's taking a step back. Andy, have we grown? No, impossible. Impossible. Fair, fair. The the one caveat I will I will put on this though, is that and I imagine with Rayman, although I have not played it yet, but with the Mario games and with DK with Tropical Freeze or whatever, um, the second you add multiplayer in, totally different experience. Second you add multiplayer in, back in, back in. It's a fun two, three, four player game. You're you're kind of. It's not so involved that you need to be paying super close attention. There's a lot of twitch reflexes involved. Um, you know, it's largely simplistic. There's only a couple buttons to press. It's a great game to play with a partner. So Rayman, I may pull we'll out. Keep it light. Yeah, Rayman, I, I would probably pull out with my wife or something like that. Um, but as a sit down and mm-hmm. play it experience, it's a it's a hard pass for me. It's a it's a no. It's a nine. Yeah. 
it becomes a shared activity. And I could see you, you know, playing it with like somebody you're bringing gently into the gaming world, you know, whether it's your kids or a niece or a nephew. It's like a good entrance point. Right. You know what I mean? To get get the training wheels on it. Yeah. Well, so, okay. So I get on the plane. Um, I had, I'd smoked down a little bit of uh, a little bit of Endica so I could pass out, hopefully, as I was crossing the ocean. And I powered on Raymond Legends. Um, and I was expecting just a really like laid back, easygoing two hour session of just kicking it with Rayman. And I think I only lasted like maybe 15 minutes or so before I just put it away. It just, it just wasn't grabbing me, played it a lot more, um, you know, previously and, and, uh, played it for a few minutes before this podcast, in fact. But at some point I was asking myself, what in the hell is happening with this story? Admittedly, I watched the opening cutscenes uh, with uh, with no audio on, so maybe that was confusing. But I actually Wikipedia'd it, Dan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wikipedia'd it as I was on the tarmac, and it did blow my mind. Uh, did blow my indica-laden uh, mind. Let me just give you a little passage on this, Dan. Are you ready for this? Hit me. The plot takes place one century after the events of Rayman Origins. Rayman, Glowbox, and the Teensies have been sleeping for a century. During that time, the Bubble Dreamer's nightmares grew in strength and numbers, mm-hmm. and so has the magician, who has split into five dark teensies. Rayman and friends are awakened by their friend Murphy, who tells them the bad news, and that the ten princesses of the land, including Barbara and the teensies, have been captured by the nightmares and the dark teensies. Rayman, Glowblocks, the teensies, and Murphy set out to defeat these new- stop. Just like, <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I just, it, it feels like uh, maybe uh, I'm listening to uh, nine-year-old Skylar's amazing short story, um, and maybe I've taken a little bit of acid, perhaps. Like, this is some deli, Teletubby-level shit right here. <laughs> yes, it is, Dan. Yes, it is. Uh, pass over Raymond Legends, unless you have a desire to play a cooperative platformer. Um, not even really that good with a little cannabis involved. Just, I think, overall, a pass. What do you think? Andy, what about the teens? Yeah, well, I know you haven't. In the Bristol Berry Fountain. I know you haven't played it, Dan, but I need you to support me on this one. Rayman Legends, thumbs down. Uh, um, maybe a pass. Maybe a pass. Yeah. yeah. Well, what do you think, Dan? Should we head over to the uh, the old smoke sesh? Let's get on the old smoky bus. Bus. Smoke sesh, Dan. Stand in for the long haul. It is a smoke session. It is the smoke session. So I'm not going to be a rule breaker. I'm not going to lie, Dan. I'm going to burn this joint after I'm done outside, not in my hotel room. I'm just, I'm just that guy. I'm that guy today. But I do have some delicious Bubba Kush, which I'm pretty pumped about and I want to tell you all about. But what do you got for us today? I have a gifted bud here called the Redheaded Stranger. Oh, Red-headed stranger. You're kidding me. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. Well, uh, very good. Uh, very good. Let me uh, let me jump into this first, if you don't mind. So I've got some, some Bubba Kush from The Greenhouse here in Amsterdam. Greenhouse is my favorite coffee shop, one of them for sure. Uh, I just said favorite, and then one of them. But I also am a big fan of Kandinsky out here. It's another great one. But 
I was down at the greenhouse today, uh, picked up this Bubba Kush that they grow. I, my understanding is that they uh, they do all or most of their own growing. I think they also have their own genetics too. So it's uh, yeah, it's it's a pretty well known, well renowned um, uh, cannabis coffee shop. And so taking a look at this Bubba Kush, it is just a beauty. These nugs are densely packed. It's like a uh, a little bit sweet, but mostly mostly chocolatey. That's what I'm getting on. It's like a cocoa on the nose. Nice vibrant longish uh, red reddish orange hairs uh, the actual the actual bud itself is a little on the paler side it's not like a deep foresty green it's a little paler and what's strange is these buds actually feel like they look a little bit longer and narrower which I would you know assume would be uh, an indic or sorry a, a sativa strain but this is a, this is a kush so you know it's 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 got that got that indica lineage so um, we're just gonna go ahead and give this a, a little toot afterwards but um, what does Leafly have to say about Bubba Kush? I will tell you what Leafly has to say because I already have it pulled up of course obviously and I am ready to talk as about one it. does you know because I'm the kind of podcaster. That does that. Who would be? Uh, from Leafly. <laughs> what is Bubba Kush? Bubba Kush is an indica strain that has gained notoriety in the U.S. and beyond for its heavy, tranquilizing effects. Sweet hashish flavors with subtle notes of chocolate and coffee. You see that shit? Yeah, it is. Cho- I, I love that that's the first flavor note they talk about. That's totally what I'm getting here. It's all chocolate all day long. Um, so, I don't know. Kudos to... Uh, Kudos to the the greenhouse for the expression of their genetics in this, but like it just straight hashy chocolatiness. Love it. Perfect, man. Well, I am very excited about this guy. This is one of my gifted buds um, from Kaladin, and this is homegrown. Um, it's not the best looking. It's not the worst looking. It's a little bit frosty. It's a paler green. It's dancing with some reddish purple hairs, um, you know, uh, this is a decent bud. It's about the size of your thumb. And I've ground some out. And as soon as I ground it up, I smelt pepper and champagne. Champagne? And I never quite smelled like champagne off it. But that's like, it's like fruity sweet with this heavy, heavy pepper. So you know the karyophyllene's in there. That's where the pepper's coming from. And uh, I perfectly named Redheaded Stranger. Bubbly and spicy. Ooh, Absolutely. Nice. I am gonna percolate this uh, this uh, little heather. You going bong? Nice. Ah, Redheaded Stranger is an energizing sativa strain named in homage to the 1975 album by Willie Nelson. A cross between Tom Hill's Haze and William's Wonder, Redheaded Stranger offers a jolt of cerebral vigor that fuels creativity and focus. True to its Hades heritage, Red-Headed Stranger takes on a sharp, spicy aroma with subtle herbal notes. Cool. Sounds pretty nice. Uh, spicy in the mouth, spicy on the nose, but not in a bad way. Like, I'm not feeling beaten up by this by this flower at all. It is quite enjoyable and actually pretty mild in terms of the cough factor. Um, so I'm happy with what's going on here. Nice. Well, I'm happy for you, pal. I'm happy for you. Any initial, uh, any initial feelings? Um, I feel lightness in the top of my eyeballs, and I don't mean the front. I mean the top inside my skull. It feels like someone has filled them with just a little bit of helium, and they're starting to rise gently uh, out of their resting spots in my sockets, and I'm okay with that. It's it's a good thing. (laughs) I like that, pal. The old eyeball tickle. You know, very good. Very good. Um, 
Design LMC says, when I ask for something that I can clean the house or hike with the dogs with, this hits the mark. I can also knit, write music, and organize. Very high functioning. This is my go-to daytime early evening pick. Nice. And it's nice to kind of get the uh, it's nice to kind of get the um, the early evening call out, right? Because so often, you know, I shy away from some of the more energetic, upbeat strains uh, because I'm worried that it's going to impact my sleep, sleep negatively or I'm going to have a hard time, you know, just relaxing in the evening. And it's so true that, like, there's a period in the night where you definitely want to be winding down and getting ready for bed. But there's an evening that calls for, you know, the 7 p.m., um, you know, jolt of energy, a little bit of creative space till 10 p.m. kind of thing uh, with the gentle wind down. And it's nice to see the call out here that this is something that could maybe maybe provide that. Gives you that second wind and it's totally called. For nice. It. You feeling a second wind? Uh, yeah. Let's let's go with yes. I wish I was. I'm exhausted. Let's continue. Let's do that. So Apple went ahead and... Andy, <laughs> when you ask me a question and then do that, it feels like it was just an opportunity to talk about yourself. Yeah. Well, I'm a selfish, uh, I'm a selfish prick, Dan, and that's just how it goes over here at the PDSQ. All right. All right. Asked and answered. So our good friends over at Apple, our VIP, uh, our VIP Apple friends... You know anybody at Apple, Dan? Uh, I know my good friend Tim Apple. <laughs> God, uh, the reason why I say Tim Apple is because Orange Forty Five called Tim Cook, the president of Apple, Tim Apple. <laughs> <laughs> and then later he's like, "No, I didn't say Tim Apple. I said Tim Cook, really quietly, and then said Apple." We're recording you, Mister President. Oh my God, <laughs> we know what you said, Tim Apple. <laughs> <laughs> so. I don't know what to think about this. Apple is launching a streaming service. It is five bucks a month. There's some cool stuff here. So there's a Shantae game, Shantae and the Seven Sirens, another platformer, of course, but uh, it's it's a pretty well-renowned one. Um, Shantae, anyhow. Uh, they've also got, get this, Exit the Gungeon. So this is a this is a deconstructed version of, of Exit the Dungeon, which I, I mean, is it out yet? I'm just trying to see. Just looking at some of the... So the, here's the situation. Uh, the streaming Apple game service called Apple Arcade is in beta. So you can sign up to it or some people can. And they're literally adding games as we speak. Like last checked, there was 53 games uploaded and there will be 100 by the time it launches. Uh, and it's a, it is a streaming service with, uh, or I guess you call it a streaming service, with a subscription of $5 a month US. Right, got you. Uh, Exit the Gungeon is actually um, an Enter the Gungeon spinoff. That's set in an elevator. That is also a bullet hell. This is uh, this is interesting. I, I don't know. Like I mean, obviously we've got multiple streaming services. Streaming services being being announced this year. It's uh, certainly the hot button conversation. Who's going to come out with a streaming service that gets the most adoption? It's kind of weird, right? Because we live in this world where Netflix is kind of the uh, Netflix is the example that's being held up in in the argument for streaming. Um, but even today, like Netflix does not get the most playtime for me. Right? We're in a post streaming technology world. It's Netflix, but it's also Hulu and it's also Crave. Uh, it's also uh, Amazon, Amazon Prime. Prime. YouTube has a premium premium service now. And, and we're also getting Disney Plus and a myriad of other ones. Yeah, exactly. And so um, not that that's necessarily a bad thing or does it mean anything for streaming services. But I'm just curious as to which streaming services are kind of betting the farm on this model um, and who's going to be able to you know grab enough, let's say, market share or grab enough um, 
share of the pie to justify the undoubtedly very large sums of money that go into an endeavor like this. And uh, first party is obviously an, an answer to that. Um, but it looks like Apple's going a different way. They're doing some like deep cut indie games as well as a lot of games that likely appeared as an app at one time or another. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think it feels like an app-level games streaming service, um, which is interesting because they, they are testing the waters and they're kind of saying, we know there are mobile gamers out there and we know that there are people that maybe aren't primarily mobile gamers, but they are open to mobile games. So they're really, they're sort of tossing us out there like chum in the water to see who bites. Yeah, and I mean, listen, something that you can stream to your phone makes sense. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a good... It's a good call. Um, I just don't know. I don't know if I, if I like me, I'm not an app gamer, right? I'm not a, an iPhone gamer. So how does this translate if I'm trying to do this on a Mac, like a, like a computer? How does this translate if I am going to try it on, uh, on the iOS? I don't know. Not sure. I guess we'll have to see. I like I like the easy in, easy out system. And if you're somebody with like uh, a, an iPad with 500 gigabytes, maybe you download half the games and play each of them for a minute or two to find the one you like. Because it can feel a little bit, uh, you know, uh, onerous scrolling through the app store, trying to figure out if you're going to like this game, you know, trying to land in a game that's going to work for you. This one lets you put a toe in the water for $5 and play 100 games. And that's that's pretty Yeah, cool. that's worth something for sure. My allergies are just just kicking me right in the face. Let's uh, continue on here before I sniffle all over Apple. Apple? We'll see. The jury's still out, but uh, definitely something to watch. Um, Dan, Destiny, how long has it been since you fired up that old chestnut, Destiny 2? It's been a little while. It's been a couple minutes. I think I'm three, expansion, I think I'm three expansions behind. Oh, really? Yeah, me too. Uh, in fact, I don't think I ever made it to level cap in that game, but Destiny 2 is chugging along. And they've got a new expansion coming a couple weeks away. Um, and I'll tell you what I like about this expansion, Dan. It's set on the moon. And what is better than the moon? Love that. Pretty much nothing. Yeah. You know my favorite version of Destiny is Space Cowboy Moon Hunter. That is my favorite. Yeah, for sure. It's revolver. It's headshots. It's the moon. Let's get it going. Yeah. You know, I, I'm curious because Destiny 2 is at this point where there's quite a lot of content out for it. I guess it's about this the same point. Uh, as the original Destiny was towards the end of its life cycle. Uh, maybe not quite there yet, but what Bungie is saying is they plan on supporting uh, Shadowkeep um, through the full year. So I think that there's a major content drop, which is Shadowkeep, and then there's three or four uh, expansions that will follow to support the storyline and support the mechanics of Shadowkeep. And then they plan on launching another expansion next year and doing exactly the same thing. So I like the content model. And I think the content model for Destiny, keeping it fresh and adding new stuff all the time is a good move for sure. Um, do you think this is enough to bring you back? or You know what? I actually thought about loading it up. And with, boy, I was playing a game and it's just escaped my brain. Yeah, with, with my FPS uh, games to play sort of winnowing down, um, Destiny's kind of you know, attracting me back, but there's like a weird uh, valley where you feel like, oh, I've been gone long enough. Maybe I'll come back and see what they've done. But then you have this competing thought of I've been out of it for so long. I'll be so far behind before I can complete meaningful content. And what feels in that gap is fun. 
So if I drop in there and I'm I'm enjoying it right away, it'll probably hold me and I'll play for a while. But uh, that's what's keeping me from pulling the trigger like today. Right. Getting me into a, a Destiny seat today. Right. No, no, no. I get you. You know, it's cool that Bungie um, and Activision have kind of gone their separate ways and Bungie has creative control over this license. And so, you know, I've got a lot of faith in Bungie. I think Destiny as a concept and as a, as a setting is really powerful. And I think that, you know, um, there's lots of reasons why this could be a really nice turning point for Destiny. I'm curious to see what Shadowkeep looks like because I've always wanted to dive into Destiny in a big way. Um, this this seems like a pretty logical point to get into it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, you know, I would love to see Destiny do a lot of hidden lore stuff again. I, I hope that that's, that's around. And I, I've always been intrigued by Destiny's secrets. They always talk about there's all these secrets that people haven't found yet. I think start letting a couple of those cats out of the bag from, you know, the launch. And uh, that would that would bring me back, maybe. Probably. Interesting. Yeah, I don't, I don't know much about those secrets. So that's that's kind of interesting. Good stuff, buddy. Good stuff. Yeah, it's been a while since I picked up Destiny. I think that when we started this podcast was just around the time that Destiny 2 was, uh, it's, it was in its first cycle. It had just launched a few months previous and, um, you know, was in, it was in a point where we were talking about it an awful lot. So it's, it's kind of nostalgic to go back there and talk about it more. Um, maybe you and I need to jump on and take a couple, take a couple of pot shots just to to relive the glory days. Yeah, I'd be into that, man, for sure. Yeah, of when you played a lot of Destiny and I did not. <laughs> it's just, it's just a picture of of your Destiny guy on the wall. I'm playing. I touch it. I cry a bit. I go back to play. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Guardian, that's what they're called. Your Destiny Guardian on the wall. <laughs> so, Dana, I want to just like, why don't we throw out a little just. For all our homies in the USA who are uh, stern weed tokers, smokers, vapors, and most specifically vapors, um, there's been so much. And it's funny because last last episode we were talking about uh, vaping specifically. I know that you've recently switched over to cartridge vapes, um, quit smoking. Congratulations. There's a lot of conversation going on right now about uh, what's going on in the US with, um, with air quotes, illicit vape cartridges. So I'm sure you've been following this pretty closely. Yeah. Yeah. I've had eyes on it. Yeah. It seems like every major news site is on it. So um, here's like the Coles notes of what I can see. And it's really scary stuff, right? Like, you know, you you, you start talking about vaping. It's a, a non-combustion alternative. Whether that's better for you or not better for you is still with the jury. However, um, it, it was looking like folks were looking at vaping as a air quotes, healthier alternative, certainly not verified, but in the vein of, hey, you know, I can suspend some THC in oil or, or distill it or, or what have you, put it in a cart and, um, you know, just take a couple discreet puffs here and there, easier on the lungs and very much could very st- much still be the case, right? The challenge is, is that you've got this rash of this rash of pulm- severe pulmonary illnesses that are that are sweeping the United States, and although, well, go ahead. I mean, I mean, yeah, that's the language people are using. But like, let's let's be real. People have been vaping for a number of years, oh, a and there are is a sudden spike in uh, a, a small spike at 380 confirmed cases at the time of the, the article that we're reading off our friend Leafly, and. and that is a very slow, small amount. And when you see a spike in something that's being gone on for a while, it's probably not that thing. It's some issue 
that small issue within a large subset of vaping, and as I, I'm sure you're about to mention, all signs sort of point to, uh, it seemed to point to the illicit market, um, stuff that's not being regulated, and stuff that's maybe, uh, you know, not entirely legal, which tells me, because uh, you hear people like, we're going to van vaping. Uh, so why don't you just look at the problem and address it? Because when you, if you talk to the vaping guys, they'll tell you that vaping is thousands of percent more safe than smoking. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm not a doctor and I'm not going to like uh, say those numbers are correct. But I think we can all, all agree it seems to be less harmful. And this is a little, little blip, doesn't it? Just a little blip. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, so there's two things here. First and foremost... What largely has come under the microscope is illicit vape cartridges. And if you look at if you look at the Instagram feed, even I was at a show in uh, in Las Vegas recently, and there was someone who had um, who or a producer that was putting out vape cartridges that didn't look the most legit, especially because on the front of those vape cartridges, you've got a bunch of Nintendo characters, right? And so I thought the cart packaging looked cool. I wouldn't touch any of those cards with a 20 foot pole. Right. And the challenge is, is that this is happening all over the place. Like for example, on Leafly, you've got chronic carts and they've got sour patch kids on the front and they've got runts on the other, on the other card. And people are shamelessly ripping off pop culture and, and doing whatever they can to make packaging that's appealing to people so that they'll buy it and that it looks somewhat legit. Uh, obviously, you know, these carts, um, have come under fire because the, uh, the pulmonary illnesses have been linked or some of them, we can't say definitively, this is the only reason why people are getting sick, but, uh, in New York specifically, um, there's been many confirmed, uh, boot or not boot, bootlegs, the wrong word, but illicit carts that have thickeners in them. So there's three that have been called Floraplex, Honeycut, and Mass Terpenes, and these have been added into the cartridges. Um, they're a synthetic vitamin E oil, from what I understand, although there may be other kind of, I don't know if it's a mineral oil or, or whatever the additive is. Basically, it makes it cheaper to manufacture the cart because you've got less THC, you're putting in an inexpensive thickener, you're cutting it with something functionally. Uh, and the way that it's um, impacting lungs when it's vaporized is really bad. So you know, the, the thing that you want to do is avoid any sort of illegal, illicit, not completely seed-to-sale tracked uh, cannabis cartridge. Stay away from anything you're finding on the streets. But what concerns me is the nicotine salt side of it. I mean, I, I haven't really read too much. I mean, the, the sites that we hang out on are, are usually more cannabis-focused. But I'm curious if people are using these thickeners in those solutions also or what, what on earth could be happening there. Yeah, it's a big question mark, and that's the problem. You know, for me, if I was going to be vaping or, you know, uh, trying to use a smoking alternative for uh, weed, I would be using the ones that that burn uh, raw flour uh, and anything Vaporize. that uh, I wasn't. Yeah, thank you. Vaporize. <laughs> uh, I I wouldn't be. I would really steer away from anything that that's sort of been made off the books, um, as well meaning as they could be. If you're using a cart like that, you're essentially rolling the dice that it could be contaminated with something that isn't going to work for your lungs. So I I put a pause on that. That that's just one man's opinion. Yeah, I mean, you know, I look at it, and Canada's about to legalize cart-based systems. Um, you know, pre-filled pens, stuff like that. 
the the difference is is that the carts that Health Canada are accepting are extremely stringent, um, and of course the uh, the actual contents of these carts are going to be under a microscope um, from again seed to sale. The challenge in the U.S. is you can't tell if a cart has pure THC or what it has in the cart. You can't look at it and know, right? You can't know the origin of it. And that's the difficulty with an unregulated market where you're buying things from, you know, potentially uh, unlicensed dispensaries or in the Northeast or in other states where there's not licensed dispensaries, whatever. I mean, I've heard everything from people who drive around in vans with with THC products to you know your 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 run of the mill dealer it's a pretty scary thing cuz it's not even just the it's not even just the additives but all of these carts you know if you don't have a high quality cart um, Lord knows, I think earlier on this year, we were looking at lead, instances of lead and leaching into into vapes. Well, and that's just 100% negligent if somebody's using any lead in any of the composition. That, that's something that's a well-known both toxin, but it's like a neurotoxin. Uh, it's bad for you all, all over. And it, it's really interesting in terms of a lot of the pneumonia-like symptoms they're seeing with folks that have become ill. Under the microscope, Leafly's got some great pictures. And essentially, you know, we're looking at a macrophage, which looks a little bit like a blueberry under a microscope. It's part of your immune system. A normal one looks like a blueberry. And this other one looks like a blueberry that's three times the size that has oil floating in it. And they typically only saw symptoms like the ones we're seeing when people had accidentally inhaled mineral oil. Uh, so for me, you know, the long and the short of it is, uh, there are things that you can breathe in and there's things that you can't. And if uh, the product you're using has some of the things you can't, that's a problem. Uh, a pretty good argument for oversight into things like this, it seems key. And a f- uh, literally one of the features of our society. So let's do that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. You were so impassioned. I just, you were, you were going. No, I, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. It's, it's, it's a scenario where, unfortunately, until we have federal regulation in the United States and, and blessedly, you know, federal regulation in Canada very shortly on these kind of products, um, it's, it's just something that can be tampered with in too many different directions that you don't really want to chance it. You know what I mean? It's just not something you want to you want to put in your I don't think it's something that I would want to put in my body unless I know that it's tracked and certified and tested and the carts are good and all that stuff is clean and healthy and fine. I mean, healthy is maybe the wrong word, but clean and fine. I, I just yeah, that probably steer clear of it. Yeah. Leafly has a great bullet point at the end and, it, and I'm going to read it almost verbatim. If you're concerned about additives in your cannabis, stick to tested flowers from licensed adult use stores in terms of extracts, additive free extract is extract is called rosin, and it also comes in vape carts in mature adult use markets. There are also tinctures, sublinguals, edibles, topicals, and transdermals for those who want to avoid all cannabinoid inhalation products. Yep, that's it, man. Lots of alternatives. Lots of alternatives. I don't. I yeah, and you know, listen. I don't want to throw it away from the from the vape carts because like. To be honest, the reason people have adopted it is because it's easy and discreet and there's actually a different sensation 
um, that comes with vaping distillate, right? Like it just, it's just, it's more of a body buzz. It can be milder, you know, it can be a little bit more gradual. I know that a lot of folks who are new cannabis users have gravitated towards it because of the lack of combustion and the flavor and kind of the easy accessible way that you can get into it. So I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like distillate is something that is probably here to stay. Um, the, the challenge is again, you know, make sure you're getting it from a source that you know is legal and good. Uh, cause, cause otherwise I, I think you're, you're probably setting yourself up for some risk. True say. True say my friend. Well, what do you think here, Dan? Uh, we got a couple other, a couple other elements here to jump in through quickly. Um, Borderlands three came out, uh, Borderlands three. Yeah. It sailed right into our collective consciousness and by all accounts, it's exactly the same as Borderlands one and two exactly the same game in fact it's getting shellacked in a couple different locations not because it's a bad game or because the borderlands gameplay of it is not good um, but because it's too samey uh too similar to borderlands 2 i've not played it yet yeah you know what i've i've been hearing a lot from both sides like i've heard predominantly that it's more the same one and two, they're like, oh, the performance is bad and uh, it has DRM that's that's sapping performance. And, oh, it was sold on the Epic Game Store for PC folks, so it mu- must be bad. Uh, and yet people that are playing it are having fun. <laughs> and and for those people that are having fun, like, who, who are we to, to harsh that particular bus? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, listen, you know, if we look at it, again, I haven't played it yet and I intend to because I'm a Borderlands fan and I enjoy it. Um, I think that the question that comes up for me is, okay, I'm going to jump into this and I'm expecting a Borderlands experience. And for all intents and purposes, it sounds like that's what I'm going to get. I'm going to get randomized guns. I'm going to get some solid cell shaded graphics. There's going to be some cheeky quasi throwaway storytelling. The missions are going to be a little grindy. You know, I'm going to be going all over Hell's Backacre to shoot things and to get an item and bring it home. You know what I mean? Um, And that's kind of okay, especially if you're playing in multiplayer, because Borderlands is a game best played in multiplayer, no question. I'm just like, it brought up a question for me, like, do I actually want the same thing? When I heard it was Borderlands 2, but but different or or sorry, but, but just more content kind of thing. When I heard it was the same or similar as Borderlands 2, I was a little disappointed, but what did I actually want? You know, that's, that's the question is like, do we want next gen versions of the franchises we love? Or do we just want the same thing updated with a couple graphics or uh, whatever? You know, man, I think that this might be just Borderlands last hurrah on the PS4 and it knows what it is. It's going to deliver what it is. And, uh, you know, people are having fun knocking around. Great. Maybe leave it to other games to innovate. I still don't know what Death Stranding is about. You know, uh, and it's sometimes people want chocolate cake, give them fucking chocolate cake. And maybe this time it has one extra cherry on it. That can work, you know, and it, it comes down to that fun factor. It's what makes the difference. I, I probably will pick this up and I think that it'll be enjoyable for what it is. I, I wish the couch co-op sounded a little bit more functional. Apparently, it's not quite up to snuff. Uh, a lot of drop frames and freezing in menus. That's a big feature for me. Um but I can see this hitting the mark. Yeah, I get you. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, there's probably a patch or two incoming and, and I'm not sure how many folks are playing off of uh, test copies or final versions or, but regardless, it's, it's pretty early to tell, you know, we were pl- talking earlier in the, in the podcast about breath of the wild. And I think Zelda is a good example of a franchise that's doing something similar, right? You've got adventure based puzzly 
action RPG. And and there's a particular flavor about Zelda, make no mistake. But every Zelda game is pretty different. You know, you've got um, everything from Ocarina all the way on through to Breath of the Wild. Pretty different title by title. And they introduce new gimmicks. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but Breath of the Wild is a pretty big departure from the... Uh, from Well, is it though? Now that I'm thinking about it. It's an iteration. They're always taking steps forward. Couple steps forward, different, 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 while weaving Zelda through the whole thing. They take these steps, and sometimes they take a step back and go, maybe not that, maybe more of this. You know, you could argue that Ocarina of Time felt like an open world, quote unquote, game at the time. And they've just opened that world more and more while bolting on some totally new features. And, and Nintendo, in general, is great at this. Right. Um, and is a key, mar- a key mark of what they've been able to do. Yeah, I mean, and I feel like maybe that's just the disappointment with Borderlands 3. Um, again, haven't played it, so it, it, I'm just speaking from hypothesis, because like it could, could be friggin' excellent for all I know. But, you know, with a Borderlands 3, I was hoping or am hoping for you know, better feeling guns and some more interesting ways to upgrade stuff and a different way of telling the story. Cause it really is a lead you by the nose kind of, kind of game, right? It's a lead you by the nose kind of game. The story beats are delivered in a very specific way. And I feel like even just, you know, maybe amping up the storytelling and, um, and creating maybe a little bit of a deep, either a deeper RPG experience or better gunplay or some sort of iteration on one of the core, uh, pillars of that game might have changed things a lot, a lot, right? Um, for the better. So I, I, I don't know. I, I, all the, the jury's still out for me. I'm gonna check it out and play it. But I just, I'm, I'm curious. Like, at what point does I want a Borderlands experience stop being the Borderlands experience be something different? Um, and is there an easy way to find that equilibrium? Probably not. It, it's tough, you know, especially for a game that's got such a unique tone. And a very specific gameplay loop. You know, I feel like if it changed too much, people will be shouting, this isn't Borderlands anymore. Borderlands is so unmistakable. It's, you know, the sarcastic, dry, robot, high-pitched guy. It's the, you know, the Mad Max outworld feel. It's lots and lots of guns. You know, it has to do those things for it to work. And uh, I think mostly you can only make small course corrections within that. It's closer to a Street Fighter than it is to a Zelda in it is what it is is what it is. You know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly. And all those all those things are important. They're important parts of the texture of Borderlands, which is why it's a, it's a head scratcher for me that innovation's not what's reported to be there, right? Because Borderlands does have a strong aesthetic. It's one of the uh, probably the most well-known cel-shaded game. It has the uh, the Diablo-style you know uh, uh, gun treadmill, and that's that's actually a big thing. Like I don't know any other games that do randomized guns better than Borderlands. You could make an argument for what for I guess Destiny. You know, gives you gives you a nice assortment of weapons as you're as you're leveling up in a randomized fashion. But Borderlands goes the full way. And its algorithm creates interesting and wacky guns that sometimes make no sense. And that's part of the charm. Um, And, you know, those two things combined with what I think could probably stand to be a stronger character, either generator or or, uh, advancement system, um, maybe some different you know, vehicle elements or maybe, you know, some adjustments to the way that the uh, the game flows over the overland map and then the story flows. I don't know. I just, 
there's such a strong premise there. I feel like doing a Breath of the Wild on on Borderlands could be like a game of the year kind of thing. Yeah, you know? I, this sounds like a great brainstorming session inside the writer's room and the developer's room. And uh, boy, counterpoint, I don't think that Borderlands will ever be game of the year. I think it tops out at an 85 to 90% in the best of times. And what holds it back is I don't think it's going to be able to make that quantum leap forward that would make somebody go, wow, game of the year, like a God of War. You know, it just, I don't think it has it in it. And I'm open to be being proven wrong. Yeah, I mean, dude, I think if Fallout can get there, Fallout can be, especially like in the New Vegas era, or even Fallout 4, you know, a lot of critical acclaim around those games. And Borderlands 2 is no slouch. Like, anytime you Google couch co-op, Borderlands 2 is not far behind. So, make no mistake, that game did very, very well. Um, I see no reason why it can't be, you know, a mainstream contender for again, a game of the year or a franchise of, uh, of, you know, uh, of the next generation console. I just, yeah, I hope we don't see Borderlands go away. Buddy, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be silver medal every time. And there's no shame in silver medal, you know, but think about the rock stars it has to go up against, you know, games like Spider-Man, God of War, Red Dead Redemption. Like, it's just like, they're, it's not punching in the same weight class. Not to say that it's bad, I like featherweights. Mighty Mouse in the UFC is amazing to watch, but it's never going to be a heavyweight contender. Uh, you know, it's like your Frank Mears. Yeah, it's just, it's not going to get there. Yeah, I, just to be clear, I don't mean this specific iteration of Borderlands. I'm sure that it's not. Um, you know, this, for this year's What's the Game of the Year, this is not it. Let's make no mistake. I just, I see the potential for Borderlands to be a Game of the Year winning franchise, right? Um, and I And I hope it gets there. I hope that, this game may very well be fun as chips. The last few games were, um, but I think that the person or the, the 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 developer that iterates on what Borderlands has going for it today and what it has had going for it for the last ten years has it been ten years? It's been like ten it's years. Been like ten years. Been like ten years. They will win. They will win, and they will win with my money. Because take it. Just iterate. Anyway, I got a full full joint of Bubba Kush here um, that I want to go outside and, and put myself to bed with. Um, any qualms? Any last-minute comments? Don't qualm it, buddy. And you're right. Mazel tov. I, I hope Borderlands does it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listener questions or games you want us to play? Shoot us an email. PurpleDungeonSquid at gmail.com. And take this Purple Dungeon pod and show it to a pal. I'm sure he'll enjoy it. <laughs> you can count on that. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Purple Dungeon Squid. Until next time. Please, my friends, keep it dank. Fuck, I am high.